0: The scripture is Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4 through 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build. Houses full of all good things, which you did not fill. Hone out, which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage.
1: It's so good to see so many with us this morning we know we have a number of visitors folks that are visiting or uh, enjoying some time, hopefully with family. As I mentioned in Bible class, we're glad to have uh, the majority of our college students back this morning with us and hope that you guys have a great summer, productive summer and we are uh, tickled that you're with us and that uh, we'll be able to enjoy the summer with most all of you. Uh, visitors hope that you'll stay around for a few minutes after our services are over and we get a chance to get to know you, but we are glad that you're here. I did this last year and it's hard to believe that it's been a whole year since we were locked down and I remember standing down here in front of this communion table Staring into a camera uh, delivering this, but I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to start this way the way I did last year on last Mother's Day and hopefully make it a tradition. Would you all bow with me together for a word of prayer as we, uh, as we, uh, before we get into our lesson? Our God in heaven, we are so grateful for mothers and we're so grateful for Mother's Day. But Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray a special blessing upon those, Father, that we don't think about on Mother's Day. We pray, Father, for those who have lost their mothers. We pray for those who have a strained relationship with their mothers. We pray for those who long to be mothers, but cannot conceive. We pray, Father, for those who are hurt by the broken dreams of motherhood. We pray, Father, a blessing upon those who are adoptive mothers. We pray a blessing on those who have never met their mothers. We pray, Father, for a blessing for those mothers who have buried their children, whether miscarried, aborted, or seemingly gone too soon. We pray for foster mothers and for those who mother children who are not their own. We pray pray a blessing for stepmothers. We pray a blessing for new mothers who are still wondering when they might actually sleep. We pray, Father, for our spiritual mothers, a blessing upon them, a blessing for those who Choose not to have children and perhaps are stigmatized for it. We pray a blessing, Father, upon those who dread Mother's Day because of its painful reminders of loss. We pray, Father, for those who are mothers and who are honored for it on a day like today. For all of our mothers and for all of us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are talking about four-letter words to teach your children this morning. And if you're like me, if you've heard the euphemism, four-letter words, you immediately think of profanity. Profanity, those four-letter words that you ought not to say. I heard one man say one time that profanity is the language of the ignorant. Because you find somebody that doesn't have the capacity to express themselves in a way that's actually helpful or a way that will help somebody else in their, in, their, in their words. And so what somebody's going to do is choose these basest, these most vile of words, and to use those as a substitute for stopping and thinking and wanting to express themselves in a way that's actually going to do somebody some good. Or a way that's going to build up or edify. It's interesting to me, and this is just a side note as we get started, the word profane in Scripture doesn't necessarily have to do with somebody using four-letter words like what we're talking about in fact the word profane you remember in hebrews chapter 12 it talked about esau being a profane person what that word means is literally far from the temple of god a person can be a profane person without ever using four-letter words did you know that we talk about four-letter words and we talk about old Joe down at the tire shop and cusses like a sailor. The truth is is that you and I can have hearts that are far from the temple of God, i.e. profane and never take the Lord's name in vain and never utter those four-letter words that are so common these days in our own society. What's interesting to me is when you look at a passage like Luke or excuse me Matthew chapter 26 and verse 74. You remember that Peter outside the court uh, where Jesus was being tried. And Jesus had already told Peter, Peter, there's coming a time before the rooster crows that you're going to deny me three times. On the third time, there was a servant girl that came and approached Peter. And she said, I know you. You're one of his disciples. You're a Galilean. What Peter did, the Bible says, was to curse and to swear and say, I don't know the man. It's interesting to me that Peter chose a pattern of speech that we might term four-letter words to show that he wasn't with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the admonition as we get started is for all of us that we cannot show ourselves to be faithful disciples of Jesus and use words like this that are reprehensible because we can have a heart that's far from the temple of God. Let no corrupt speech proceed out of your mouth, Ephesians chapter 4. But as we talk about four-letter words, I want to talk about them particularly with regard to the home. What Paul read for us this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 6 was Moses delivering his last address, his last sermon to these people before he was going to go up into Mount Nebo and die. And you remember that in Deut- the book of Deuteronomy, is divided into three points. It's a three-point sermon, where we have been, where we are, and where we're going and what Moses tells them here at the outset of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is what I command you today, I want you to teach diligently to your children. The implication is, Moses says, is that when you get into a land that you didn't possess on your own accord, when you get into homes that you didn't build and you get to drink the, the, the juice from vineyards that you didn't plant, the danger is you're not going to want to teach these words as diligently as you ought to to your children. Your children are going to forget And your children are going to cultivate hearts that are profane, that are far from the temple of God. And the truth is, is that we learn best, the heart learns best, the lesson that it learns at home first. Moses commanding these people and understanding the family unit. And he didn't put the responsibility to instruct the people upon one particular leader. Of course, they had Levites in every city around their their nation where they could go and they could learn the law of God and they could be instructed. But what Moses does, what God does through Moses, is to put the responsibility of teaching diligently these commands to the children by the parents. By the parents. You know, parents, there are some four-letter words that we need to be teaching our children and we need to be teaching diligently to our children. It has nothing to do with values and thoughts of the world, with those things that are profane, that we've already established, show ourselves to be far from the temple of God, far from the heart of God, but rather to be near to what he wants our home to be, us as parents to be, and all of our children to be. Let me give you five of them this morning that we need to think about with regard to parents teaching our children. Number one, we need to teach our children the four letter word give. Four letter word give. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, that God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want us to be givers that are grudging. Oh, I can't believe I got to give this. I don't want you to be a giver, God says, of necessity, to where you, say, well, I guess I'm just going to have to pony up. I guess I'm going to have to, uh, uh, it's needful for me to do that. He said God wants a giver that's got a willing heart. It's not hard to develop. Selfishness seems like it comes naturally, doesn't it? It doesn't take a child long to begin to use words like I, me, mine. You have two children that have one toy in a room and one of them's going to go and grab it and they're going to say it's mine. There's something different about a parent being able to teach that child to be sacrificial and to be giving for the good of another. We've been learning as a congregation on Sunday evenings, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, consider the first four verses and how it has to teach us about what we give and how we give. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the spirits, okay, you can mouth it with me, any uh, comfort and mercy, and there's a implication that there is, Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having a Same love of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you not only look out for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus gave himself. For God so loved the world that he gave, John 3, verse 16... And when we learn how to give, and when we teach our children how to give and how to give sacrificially, we're teaching them about the very nature of the God that we want them to serve for the rest of their life. We don't want them to give just because mom and dad say it. But mom and dad, everything that we command as far as these four-letter words go, have to do with something about the character and the nature of God and the God that we want them to understand gave it all for them. And how he did it, not grudgingly or of necessity, but he did it because of the joy that was set before him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Giving. Practically, consider this. Parents, you want something to start with. I'm told that it's effective if you have three jars for each child that you have. In the first jar, you have something that's savings. On the second jar, you have something that's spending. You know, money in your pocket. We understand impulse buys. You walk beside the checkout aisle there at the Walmart and you see a packet of gum or a little Mario character, in our case, and you say, I've got to have this. And you pick it up and you put it on the thing and you don't think anything more about it. There are things that you ought to have just as far as your spending money goes. But then there's a third jar that has to do with money that we're going to give to God. And in training our child... When our child mows a lawn, when our child uh, has a lemonade stand, when our child, uh, I don't guess that people have paper routes much anymore, but when our child does something as far as gainful employment, then they get that paycheck or they get that money, and we as parents teaching them to give say, all right, now we're going to sit down, we're going to decide firstly, firstly. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Let each of you give as it's been prospered. Lay something aside so that there's no collections when I come, Paul says. What first I want to do is think about what I'm going to give to God. And parents, we can give some guidance with regard to that. We're going to take this and we're going to put this over here in this jar. Then parents, we're going to help them and take them and put the other two proportionally in the other two jars. What are we teaching that all the blessings that we have come from an eternally good father. And he wants us to learn to be givers sacrificially just like he is a giver. We need to teach our children. It's not just about our money. It's about our time. It's about our service. How do we spend our time as a family? Have you ever thought about as a family taking something and saying, We're going to have a service Saturday. We're going to go over and we're, as a family, going to give of our time and of our means and of our resources to try and help somebody out, to look after the interest of those widows, those shut ins. We're going to go and we're going to try and brighten somebody's day to help them along that. What are you doing? You're teaching them that our lives are not just about, shouldn't be about, just pleasing ourselves but to learning to walk in the steps of our Savior by giving ourselves, of our time, of our talent, of our money, of our resources, sacrificially to better, to improve, to encourage somebody else in their life. God wants us to be people who teach this diligently to our children. The word give. Second four-letter word. The word hear. The word hear. Deuteronomy chapter 6 Beginning verse 4, hear, O Israel, listen, I want you to pay close attention to this. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And as we look and say that we have a responsibility to our God, we have a responsibility to listen to him, to hear him. Jesus used the phrase repeatedly throughout the gospel accounts. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want you to listen up to this. When you look at the book of Proverbs, from Proverbs chapter 1 through Proverbs chapter 10, it's almost like Solomon wants to grab his son by the the shirt and say, Son, I need you to listen to me. Son, I want you to get wisdom. I want you to get understanding. I want you to put them as a chain around your neck. Son, I really want you to hold on to these things. Son, please listen to me about these things ever felt like that with your kids? Have you ever physically done that to your kids? Hear me. Understand what I'm saying. What I've got is going to help your life and what I've got is going to benefit your life. What I've got is going to make a difference in how you live and how you respond to God and how you respond to the problems, the difficulties that you come through, that you go through. I need you to listen to me carefully. James chapter 1 and verse 22 Don't be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. Because hearing doesn't stop with just going in one ear and out the other, as the old saying goes. It has to do with internalizing what I know is important, what I know is most important, and then putting that into action. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, James chapter 1 and verse 19. We want to be people that are quick to listen, and we want to train our children to be quick to listen as well. I got a unique opportunity yesterday, spent the majority of my morning out at the soccer fields up in Pagan Grove where Audrey and Claire and Aaron are all playing their soccer games. And as I was finishing one game and going to another, I was heading back to the car and uh, Aaron's coach came and stopped me and said, I've got an emergency at home. I've got, uh, my air conditioner broke down and I've got to go back home. Will you coach the team today? (laughs) Listen, I don't know much about soccer, right? You know, it's it's the one with the ball like... I said, that's fine. And so the other team's coach helped me. But the whole time I'm standing out there on the field and trying to give instruction to these little seven and eight-year-olds. All right, go get the ball, go get the ball. They're standing there and they're just kind of looking at me like, but I'm doing my best to try and get them to hear and get them to listen. But there's not a whole lot of listening going on, especially with seven, eight-year-olds. You find a bug down there and you're following the bug and all of a sudden the ball goes right by you. And that's the way it goes sometimes. But when we talk about hearing a coach, we know that that coach, again, any skilled or qualified coach, I don't claim to be either, but we know that the coach wants the best for the team, yes? And we know the coach is going to help each individual, but also the team collectively, so that the team can function as a team, but individually he can go and say, all right, Johnny, you need to work harder at going after the ball. You need to work harder at, at, at being ready for whenever the ball comes next to you as far as the goal goes. When we talk about hearing. I wonder if we don't place more emphasis upon hearing the coach or hearing the teacher with regard to academics or hearing the band director or the choir director or hearing, uh, hearing the voices that are out there more than we give emphasis on hearing the word of God. Listen, you know, when we talk about coming to worship and when we talk about coming to Bible classes on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and when we talk about getting together together, Folks, we place something about the priority of hearing and obeying God by how we train our children to say this is what we're doing. We have an opportunity to grow closer to the heart of God. We have an opportunity to grow more as the spiritual people of God. And that's why we're coming into Bible class tonight. Because there's going to be something said that's going to have an impact on your soul, son. Or your soul, daughter. Or my soul, son, or your mother's soul. And we place an emphasis on that because we want them to understand that hearing the word of God and listening attentively to the word of God and obeying his voice is the most important thing in our life. And I wonder if we just get that wrong by what we train our children that worship or Bible class is optional. Folks, it's important. We want people and we want our children to hear the word of God faithfully and we cannot be faithful to him and to hear him effectively if we are not here to hear and if we're not training our children to hear in the home first sitting down and having family devotionals and family bible time and opportunities where we can open up the word of God and teach something about his nature about his character or about the way that people responded to him or the way that they didn't respond to him because it's all about hearing What was the difference of the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand according to Jesus in Matthew 7, 24 through 27? The difference was that one of them heard and did and his life was established on the rock so that the rains and the storms, whether you believe that's judgment or whether you believe that's the trials of life, that house stood firm. I want my children to have a house that's going to stand firm. That has to do with them hearing and doing versus the person who heard and didn't do They built their house on the sand, the shifting sand of this world and all of its goods and everything else that that the world tells us is a solid foundation, but it's not. He says the same rains, the same winds, the same storms came, and that house fell, and he didn't stop there. He said great was its fall. Are we training our children to hear the word of God and to be obedient? Word number three, four-letter words that we ought to be teaching our children, pray, pray. Pray. 1 Thessalonians five verse seventeen. Pray without ceasing. That's pretty direct, isn't it? Parents, are we people like that? Can our children see that we are people that are devoted to prayer and God? Remember the old story of Chris, uh, the old movie, *A Christmas Story*. <laughs> TBS, I know, has a 24-hour marathon, I think, of it every, every Christmas season. But you understand that that movie has got a part in it where Ralphie utters one of those four-letter words, those dreaded four-letter words off, off screen, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't say the word directly. But his dad is horrified, his mom is horrified, and the next scene after the, the, the scene with the car broken down has Ralphie sitting there in the bathroom with a big chunk of soap in his mouth. And his mom takes it out, and the first thing that she says to him, you remember? Where did you hear that word? And Ralphie, thinking through it, said, Now, I've heard my father say that word on a number of occasions. And it's meant to kind of be a little humorous scene to where you're, you're thinking about Ralphie and thinking, Oh, yeah, that's just what dad does. But he doesn't want to get in trouble, so he blames his friend Flick down the street. To me, that, as I get older, that's a terrifying scene. Because the truth is that the little habits that we drop off as parents, our kids pick up mighty quickly. And the things that we do as parents, our children are going to imitate, at least in some manner or some fashion. If you were to ask your children today and say, what did you see mom and dad do growing up? How does mom and dad, how do they approach God and what do they think about God? Do they ever talk to God? Do you ever see mom and dad kneeling down in prayer? And Have you ever heard them uttering prayers for you guys and for your wisdom? What would they say? No, I've never seen that. No, I've never thought about that. When the Bible here, just this first scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, you be people who are praying without ceasing. What about when we're worried? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. By prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Does that describe me? In everything pray? What about leading our families in prayer? Dads, You want to challenge before everybody goes to bed tonight, you sit down with your family and you open up the Bible and you read something from the Bible for them. And then before you send your children off to bed, get a notepad and a piece of paper and you say, all right, we're going to go around here this evening and I want you to give me two things to start out with. You can grow the numbers as much as you want to as they get more comfortable with the process. I want you to give me two things that you're thankful for about today. And I want you to give me two things that we need to pray about as a family and write those things down. All right, Johnny said he's thankful for uh, the beautiful weather today. He's thankful for his bicycle. All right, two things we need to ask God help us with. All right, God, help me to have a good week with this girl down at school that gives me a hard time. God, be with grandma who is in the hospital and not doing well. What's amazing about this is if you do this consistently, every single evening and then dad you take all those prayer requests and you lead the family together in prayer what's going to happen is over time you're going to see those children and it's going to be an amazing thing to watch them grow to watch them grow from praying about the daisies and the flowers to saying god help me to be kind to my brother and my sister god help us as a family to honor you the way that we ought to god help me because my attitude is not right And what's amazing is you're doing and accomplishing 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 and also Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Because you're taking those concerns and those problems and not just saying, well, Dad, Father knows best. I can solve them. But you're taking those things and saying, Dad may not have the answer for that. But we're going to hear God's word about your problem. And then we're going to lift up that problem before God in prayer. Because that's what he wants. We're going to talk to him. ever feel like God's far away check your prayer life first because what he wants us to do is share the intimate details about our days with him husbands and wives wives individuals you don't have to have a family to accomplish this you can still get out a sheet of paper and a list and start making a list of what you're thankful for and what, uh, what God can help you with if you're not in the habit. And you take those things to God, you take that list with you, make it on your phone. I know there's apps that will help you with prayers, but you take those things and we want to be people who are people who are known for prayer, for approaching God, not just at any time, but every time. Word number next, word love. The word love, people don't know, and the more you live, the more you realize that our people are starving for loving affection, and how sad it is that some homes are not known for their love, but are known for how much strife and turmoil can be created in this environment. When we think about love, of course we want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and talking about love. How love is patient and love is kind and love doesn't envy and love doesn't uh, exalt itself and love's not puffed up and how, how love is, uh, bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Have you ever thought about that passage, First Corinthians 13, as being a mission statement for your home? Listen, I recognize that we have homes that want to be a place of enjoyment, A blessing. But if our home is a place continually where all we do is just pick at each other and tear each other down and it becomes an exercise in one-upsmanship or or sarcasm and, and just one of those environments where nobody ever says, I love you, I appreciate you because of, then we may not be cultivating the right kind of home. And if we're not cultivating the right kind of home, you can be guaranteed that it's not going to bear the right kind of fruit. We want the home that's going to bear the fruit of love, joy, peace. Is your home a place of peace? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what God wants. Not just of our individual lives, but the place where Christians touch. And the place where Christians are, because those places ought to be better based upon us having been there. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We know that one of the last things he emphasized in the book of John is that they love each other. And all you have to do is read through 1 John and realize that that's exactly what God wants. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. When we think about love, it's not just about giving somebody the warm fuzzies. It's not just about helping somebody, oh I just love you, I just appreciate you. You realize that love is not love that doesn't try and help that person grow. That's the meaning of the word of agape in Greek. Agape love is a sacrificial love that's going to give for the best of others. And so if we talk about loving somebody, and like we were talking about in Bible class this morning, and, and, and wanting to forgive somebody, sometimes we think it's loving to just take it wrong and just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen, when in reality what's loving is that you go to that person and say, this is going to be a difficult conversation and I would much rather not have it, but I want to do what the Lord says and I want to help you to grow as much as I want to grow myself. Parents, you realize that it's not loving to let your children get away with wrong in your house. You realize it's not loving to let overlook a transgression. I'm not talking about just a child being a child and, and, and not being concentrating on whatever's wrong, but I'm talking about something that the child willfully does, and they know that what they've done is wrong. You let that child get away with it. You let that child continue on a habit of just going and disregarding what mom and dad says. That's not a loving thing to do. You know why? Because the child is learning something about responsibility and authority there from your example. You want to be a parent that trains your child that the child's loved. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 and 6 talks about how God deals with us as children. And he says if you receive discipline, if you receive chastisement, if you receive something that's unpleasant. And you know that that unpleasant thing is based upon you not responding to the Lord the way that you want to. He says that's the demonstration of God's love. Discipline, spanking, yes I said the S word, treating your child and realizing that a child left to himself is going to bring shame to his mother, as the Proverbs writer says. If I leave that child alone and never offer any kind of discipline to that child, that child's not going to grow up to be somebody that pleases the Lord because they haven't learned respect and authority. And what we've done, it may be a lot of things, but it is not Biblical love. When we look at our lives, brothers and sisters, and when we look at our children, what we want of our children is for them to grow up to be responsible, healthy adults who are trying to please God more than anything else. If we don't discipline our children, if we don't train them, if we don't chastise them, what's going to happen is those children are going to grow up and feel like the authority doesn't apply to them, that they're not accountable to anybody. And God forbid children are raised in a home that supposedly honors God and don't feel the love from time to time of the parents sitting down with them and saying, now listen, I had to ground you for this reason. Do you understand that? Yeah, Dad, I understand that. I had to spank you because of this reason. Do you understand that? Yes, I understand that. I want you to know that I did that because I love you. And I want you to respect what the authority is in the home. I want you to respect what's right. And mom and dad, your word in the home, if you're following God the way that you ought to, is right. And son, I don't want you to treat your brother or sister like that. I don't want you to be disobedient. I want you to be a person that tells the truth always and that holds the truth in a high regard. Parents, we have that responsibility, and that's part of loving those children. Number next, work, work. It's the last one, number five. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10. I had a teacher that told me the layman's translation, not David and Steve, but the layman's translation of whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, is this, make them glad to see you coming. When you know that somebody is on the project... That's going to do their best, that's going to devote their entire cause and to put their hand to good use and to work and not mooch. He says, You've accomplished what's going on, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. One of the consequences for a man sinning in the Garden of Eden there in Genesis chapter 3 was that man was going to have to work all the days of his life by the sweat of his brow and how he was going to work and work and work. We know that the woman's responsibility also included labor and also included work. But at the same time, you look at that and you say, that's part of us here in this world. That's part of one of the consequences of sin that we deal with is that we have to labor and we have to labor hard. Now, parents... The question comes to us, how have we trained our children to realize that work is a necessary part and working with our hands and whatever we do, we do with all our might? Because the older I get and the more often I see, our world is training people to be lazy. Proverbs 6 talks about the sluggard. About the man who, in a different context, won't even, will bury his hand in the bowl and not even bring it back up to his mouth because it wearies him. And how you look at what the admonition is there in Proverbs chapter 6, to go to the ant, you sluggard, and say, uh, consider her ways and be wise. She doesn't have somebody standing over her micromanaging. Again, I'm paraphrasing. She doesn't have somebody to tell her, all right, do this, do this, do this. But she looks and she sees here's a job that needs to be done and she does it. Why? Because... In some respects, she's been trained to do it. It's in her nature as an aunt that she has a responsibility to do what she does. She doesn't grumble. She doesn't complain. She does what she does because it needs to be done. If we can train our children to learn how to work and how to work without the eye rolls and how to work without the constant complaining, and oh, oh I, you know I really want to just sit here on the couch and play video games. I'm, I'm well aware of that. But I also know that idleness does not lead to godly character. Sitting around and just simply doing what you want to do all day long is not going to lead you to being a mature, healthy, God-pleasing, God-fearing adult. What God wants us to do as parents is to help our children to train up our children. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Jesus followed in the steps of his earthly father, Joseph, and he was a carpenter by trade. How do you suppose Jesus was as a worker? I suppose his dad ever had to say, Jesus, come on over here. Come on, where are you at? Come on, let's go. Or can you imagine him cultivating and developing a great work ethic from the time that he was a very young man? When you think about our responsibility to help our children to be workers what responsibilities do we give them in the home? What ways do we help them in understanding that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the good and evil, Proverbs 15 and verse 3, and that the things that they do in secret, all right, son, I want you to clean your room, and you realize that everything in his room just got shoved under his bed, not organized, not put away, but all the clean clothes that you <laughs> work so carefully and to fold and to put away, all those things are now under the bed. It looks clean. Have they accomplished the task? pulling all of those things back out from underneath the bed. You're going to do this again. I'm going to offer you the instruction. I want you to hear one our first four-letter word. I want you to hear what I'm going to say. Here's what we're going to do with the clean clothes. We're going to put them nicely and neatly in the drawers. Here's what we're going to do with the toys. We're going to sort them out and put them in the individual bins where they go. And as you're helping them and as you're pointing them away, yes, there's grace and understanding that they may not be able to accomplish all of those tasks. But they can accomplish some of them. And as they get older, hopefully the responsibility is going to grow to where you're helping them to realize there are just jobs that need to be done at the house. And those jobs need to be done with no grumbling and no complaining. Do all things without those things, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14. Our children need to understand that they need to do what the parents ask. Let me rephrase. They need to do what the parents tell them to do. And they need to do them with the right attitude. Because it's not just a matter of getting the job done. It's a matter of obedience plus submission. Those two are not the same thing. Submission is saying, I'm going to do what you say, and I'm going to do it with a good attitude because you say it. Because anybody can obey. Your boss tells you to do this project. He's going to require you three extra hours on a Friday afternoon. (laughs) That rotten, stinking boss doesn't he know that I've got things to do and places to go and people to see. That's, you may get the job done, but you haven't submitted. What submission does is it says, I recognize you're telling me this, and I recognize you as the one who has the authority to tell me and the authority to change my circumstances, and I'm going to do what I do with a right heart, with a happy heart. You think our world could use more people in it that wouldn't just be content to do the bare minimum, who wouldn't, just be, uh, who wouldn't just be content to show up to work and just get a paycheck, but if what they did, they did with all their might, and they did because they loved other people and because they were looking out for the interest of other people and not just their own interest. Again, like Philippians chapter 2. What do you suppose if we would happen if our world was more like that? It's supposed to be a better place to live. If people understood the value of these things, folks, this begins with the house of God. Jesus said, A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. The way that we train up our children and the way that they should go, Proverbs 22 and verse 6, and the way that we rear our children according to godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom ought to make our family shine as a beacon. As a beacon to other people to say, I see your children sitting there in obedience and submission. I see the way that they have a respect for authority. I see the way that they work. I see the way that they're always looking out for somebody else's good and how they're giving and how they're, how they're, they're people that obviously have a deep and profound relationship with God because of their prayer life and because they've heard his word. I want to know more about the God you serve. I want to be a servant like him. I want to be a servant that serves him. The light shines brightest that shines at home first. Woodrow Wilson, before he was president, used to be be, um, uh, president of uh, Princeton Academy. And he was speaking at one occasion to a group of parents uh, there at Princeton Academy. And he had this to say about, um, about their children. He says, I get many letters from you parents about your children. You don't want to know why we people up here at Princeton can't make more out of them and do more for them. He said, let me tell you the reason we can't. It may shock you just a little, but I'm not trying to be rude. He says, the reason that they are, the reason is that they are your sons. They're reared in your homes. They're blood of your blood. They're bone of your bone. They have absorbed the ideals of your home. You have formed them. You have fashioned them. They are your sons. In those malleable, moldable years of their lives, you have forever left your imprint upon them. You want something that will sober you as a parent. You realize that you're shaping your children with your habits, with your ideals, with your thoughts, with your unintentional and unintended and unknown idiosyncrasies the things that you do that you don't even realize that you do the kids are picking up on and the truth of the matter is brothers and sisters if we are not faithfully following jesus our savior the one we're looking to and realizing the grace that he's given us to change and to mold our own hearts and our own character to be more like him then we're never going to consider our children the way that we ought to But I'm thankful so much for God and his grace and a savior that said this statement when he was just 12 years old. I must be about my father's business. You want a good mission statement for your life as a father, as a mother, as a child, as whatever state of life that you're in. I must be about my father's business. I'm thankful for godly homes. I'm thankful for God giving us wisdom to be able to better lead our families and to better help them to be stronger every single day. And I'm thankful for the forgiveness of sins, for I know that I'm not perfect as a father. I know that I will never be perfect as my Savior is perfect. But I'm thankful that he loves me anyway, and he gives me the grace to continue to go. That's a God that I want to serve for the rest of my life. That's a God that I want to spend eternity with. Because he will always love us. He will always care for us. And as much as we approach him in humility, he will give us the grace that we need to help in every trial. Do you need to know him today? Maybe there's somebody here this morning who's ready to obey the gospel. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that's already a Christian and realizes that they've fallen short. And they realize that there's character flaws and issues that they're continuing to deal with and things that they need continual prayers for and ways that we as a church family can help to strengthen, to encourage to bless. We'd love to study with you. We'd love to open up God's word and give you wisdom because it's not me. It's not any of our elders in and of themselves. It's not any person that's trying to live godly in Christ Jesus that has the wisdom of themselves to be able to help you. It's God and his wisdom that can make a difference in your lives. Whatever your need is, won't you make it known as we stand our invitation song.